How do we stand in our power while still being gracious, kind, and collaborative with others? My friend Heather Ash Amara is one of the people who to me exemplifies the ability to do just that. She's written over a dozen books and lately her work on what she calls warrior goddess training or the warrior goddess way, these are both titles of her, of her recent books, along with the warrior heart practice, they all illustrate or teach how to do just that in various ways. And this is Heather Ashe's work. She travels the world teaching, holding workshops, and of course, at the moment during the COVID pandemic, her, the nature of her work has also changed to being more virtual and online. Currently, Heather Ash is stewarding a 180-acre ranch called Warrior Heart Ranch, where she's building a community kitchen right now out of adobe bricks. She's, of course, continuing all her work, writing, teaching, and overall, you can say that she's dedicated in her work to inspiring depth creativity, and joy by sharing the most potent tools from a variety of world traditions. I first met Heather Ash when we were both studying together. And she is one of those people you'll just never forget once you've met her. Her deep training with Don Miguel Ruiz the author of The Four Agreements, with whom she has apprenticed for a number of years, and whose work she, in so many ways, continues with her own insights, experience, and, and research added on, is extraordinary. Lately, I have been looking at her writings and her thoughts about being a fire walker instructor, what it takes to walk through the difficult areas of our lives, symbolized by finding a way to move through a dangerous and difficult time. She says that the fire continues to be her muse, teacher, and guide. And I think at a time when much is in upheaval around us, that is a really important perspective. Because as the fire burns down what we know and what we're used to, we can also look to the power within it takes to walk through it to get through it each step at a time with a deep concentration and focus on just the very next step. And ultimately, while we wait for the fire to burn down, we can look forward to the fertilizing and transformative power 
that will grow from the ashes. Heather Ash has taken her name, Ash, precisely from this meaning, from the growth that happens when we dare to face the fire. Up above my sky, I can see forever. Above my sky, the horizon fades. Welcome to another episode of Deep Dives in Extraordinary Times. Today, I have the lovely and talented and accomplished Heather Ash Amara, the warrior goddess herself. Welcome, Heather Ash. Thanks so much, Marie. So great to be here with you. I really appreciate you being here. Your voice has um, become such a powerful light in these times for so many people. So grateful to be able just to share comfort and compassion during these times. Mm. Yes, there's much suffering and there's much change. Um, I think other than how many books have you written, Heather Ash? Is it 17 or what, what is enough? I tried to get a count, but it was uh, hopeless. I know. I've published, like traditionally published eight books now. Okay. A bunch of self-published ones as well. But yeah, it's been quite a ride of sharing yeah. teachings through writing, which has always been just one of my loves is writing. Something you connected to as a little girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what I wanted to be when I grew up was a writer. And you were convinced that you were going to be writing. There you were at age seven in India, I believe, right? Yeah, we, I was uh, blessed to be raised in Southeast Asia and travel all over the world with my family when I was a kid. And one of my first memories is of sitting down and and having like my favorite pen and my pad of paper and thinking, I'm gonna write my book and starting to write and getting about a page in and realizing, I don't think I've lived long enough to write a book yet. (laughs) (laughs) There was that that missing ingredient. Yes, yeah, lots of life experience, which yeah, at around 35, I was like, okay, I think I now have the life experience. I can write, start writing. So Yeah, and that has gone, I mean, that has been from your travels, but also from your apprenticeships and, of course, your education. But I find it so interesting how your journey into knowledge and experience has really been this very juicy mix of traditional studies and then a very unusual apprenticeship with many different types of people, but maybe the Toltecs stand out? Yeah, absolutely. I I see my life as this just beautiful weaving of a lot of experiences and incredible teachers. And so, you know, as you said, probably my most impactful teacher with Don Miguel Ruiz, the author of The Four Agreements. And I started apprenticing with him in 1994. And everything from that teaching and community is woven through what I do. And so it's really practical, which 
you know, something that Miguel is very, he's like, it's just common sense. <laughs> and yet there's so much depth mm. to those teachings of ways to, to really live authentically, to center into ourselves and connect to the world in a really seamless way. I'll put it that way, embracing all of it. Yeah, that that connecting the dots between a spiritual insight, uh, intuitive knowing, and then a practical application. Yes, and That's and that is so challenging in so many ways, um, in, in different paths that we take. And I I, fi- I find that is one of the the more extraordinary things about your teachings is how it really does encompass this. The, the wholeness of it. It becomes, quote unquote, easy to follow, easy to understand, but they are really deep and complex concepts. And that's always been my path, I would say, is to take complexity and help make it simple while honoring the complexity. Mm-hmm. You know, whether that's a hum- another human or a teaching or an experience that I've had myself is, you know, I'm always reminding myself like humans are really complex Mm. and it's also really simple. Like we want love. We want to be acknowledged. We want to be seen. And yet we're also incredibly messy. The world is messy. Life is messy, super unpredictable. And if we can continue to ground into that, which sounds simple, but, Life's going to throw us lots of challenges, obviously. And I always think about these worthy obstacles that life presents to us. And we can use everything in our life to feel defeated, to diminish ourselves, to judge ourselves, to get small. Or we can use anything in our life to really open our hearts more, show up, get more solid. doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but that is where we have choice. A big part of that is that self-talk we get into, isn't it? It is. Yeah, I I have this, I went into silence for 40 days uh, early in my apprenticeship with Miguel, and I continued to interact in the world. And one of the things that came out of that was this recognition of my own disaster mind, what I, I coined disaster mind, because I realized there was this part of my mind that was constantly looking at worst case scenarios, what could go wrong, worrying about the past or judging myself for the past or freaking out about what might happen even before it even it had happened. And, and really learning how to not try and squish that part of my mind or judge it or fight it, but acknowledge the fear. Mm. acknowledge the part of me that was trying so desperately to keep me safe and learn how to embrace it and go beyond it, which is, you know, a day-to-day dance that we get to do with our minds of how do we capture our own attention and redirect it where we want it to go. Mm. Sometimes minute by minute, right? Sometimes second by second. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I, I really find that too. Um, that self-talk is so easy to get into. Um, as a matter of fact, it's just an example of how you and your teachings reach me sometimes. Just this morning, I was waking up and uh, 
you know, uh, had to return a deposit to Australia for festivals that we couldn't do. And there was um, yesterday the the washer had flooded a room and um, there was a new washer we had to buy and there was all this stuff. And I just felt empty inside, right? This is uh, on the background of these times and everything else that is happening. You know, it, it doesn't take much to throw us off as things are right now. And then I was preparing for this interview and I came across your thoughts about the, the fire and fire walking and the transformative power of Mm, watching things burn down and then learning to master that. Talk to us a little bit about what that, what that is, what fire walking is, what the theory behind the fire and why it's so important to you. Fire is the element of transformation. It's all about change and transmuting. And the fire walk is such a great metaphor and for those of you that have never heard of a fire walker, like, what is this? It's, I mean, literally you take wood, you burn it. It's very specific wood. So this is not like random. Let's just do this in the backyard. And you burn it down to coals. And then you walk across those coals with your bare feet. And it's something that humans have been doing for thousands and thousands and thousands of years as a way to either raise energy to get ready for something difficult or for healing. And the metaphor with the fire walk, what's so beautiful about your relationship with the fire walk is it's not that you come to the fire and like, oh yeah, I can walk on it, it's easy. I've literally walked on fire thousands and thousands of times over the last 30 years. And every time I get in front of a fire, it's different. I don't know mm. what's gonna happen. I don't know what the relationship is gonna be. And it's taught me so much about life that in every moment in life, if you show up not knowing and being in relationship to the mystery, that's when you can really access your intuition and your own guidance and your own presence of what's the next step. How do I move through the fire rather than letting the fire consume me or running away from the fire? How do I go through it to the other side? And it's not about like powering over. It's about being so deeply in your body and in communion with the fire that you can cross through. So this idea of like, how do you be in communion mm. when things are burning down around us? When there's so much suffering right now, when there's so many like physical fires happening and emotional fires happening and a pandemic, like all of these fires that are burning, that when we think we can control it is when we start getting ourselves into trouble and start to really suffer. But when we realize there's something, there's something that's wanting to be born. And one of my friends, Predita, just shared this. She's like, you know, what she's been asking herself recently is how is this the prayer to my heart's desire? And for me, when I'm in the relationship in the world in the same way that I'm in relationship with fire, I can then have my heart open to what's my next step here? How do I navigate this without denying my own humanity or anybody else's humanity, but also staying connected to the infinite? Yes, and to uncertainty. 
us. Because I think so many of us are, uh, have grown up with a expectation that if we did certain things, almost like we had a contract with life, then, you know, other things would happen because we followed the rules. And um, then when the rules don't work and all our, you know, efforts seem wasted, it is a, a difficult um, situation for so many people right now. And all of us are affected in various ways. The, the rules don't apply like they used to. And so we take that image of the fire and you say it's different every time. There's something, the fire is dangerous. The, the, the unknown, the uncertainty, there's a, a danger element, but there's also, as I hear you, a level of, there's walking through it, respecting it is what I'm hearing, communicating with it, understanding that each situation, each new fire pit that you are going to put your bare feet through, um, each one is different. Each one requires a different level of listening is what I'm hearing you say. Yeah, that's, I, it feels really true. Mm. And that a, a, a different level of presence and intuition, which is listening for me. It's like showing up with what is rather mm. than what we wish was. And we're all getting, you know, anybody who had that, um, illusion that we were in control i think all of us are like oh okay yeah like that's not true any longer and it never really was it was it was an illusion that we had the control and so now that that's been taken away for i think most of us right now and hopefully we'll stay in that relationship to the mystery what we're shifting away from is what I call linear thinking. And linear thinking is if I do this and this and this, then this will be the result. If I'm a good person, if I do it right, if I follow the rules, then this will be the result. And linear thinking is great when you're creating a website or a spreadsheet or you're doing your taxes, although you can also be creative with that as with all of those as well. But there's certain things that you want that like A plus B does equal C in some cases. But in life, it doesn't work that way. Life is cyclical. Life is about beginnings and endings. It's about births and deaths and everything in between. And I feel like we've, we've gotten into this place as a society, I'll just say as, a, as humans right now, where we want the birth, but we don't want the death. And we want it, the youth, it, but we don't want the age. Exactly. And, and in last week's uh, podcast, I talked to Lisa Smart, who is um, a fantastic person dealing with the language of people who are transitioning and how their language change and their perceptions change. And we talked about also the many little deaths that we go through throughout life. And that this process of life and death, we look at it as the bookends of, of life, but it really is a continual process throughout life. And the process in some ways is similar in that there's this moment of finality, transition, and new light, new discovery. 
And that's one of the things you said it so beautifully about the fire. I'm going to just see if I can find the quote because I thought it was just so, uh, so well put. The fire continues to be my muse, teacher, and guide. And, and, and that's that thing of when we're in these moments where the shit's burning, you know, it's going down, it's coming down around us in many different ways. Well, then that relationship is what you're saying. Now it's a relationship and a listening that can allow a new kind of relationship and a new kind of birth. Yeah, yeah and it's, it's that relationship with what is now. You don't go to a fire walk and go, I'm going to pretend like this is something else. Mm. You go to a fire walk going, this is fire. Mm. And then telling your body, okay, body, what do we need to walk across this fire? You know, I'll draw a parallel to, to my research about blues and blues fans. Because in some ways, there is something very similar in that the blues tells it like it is. You're dealing with difficult emotions, difficult realizations, difficult, or it could be joyous, any kind of emotion that is there, and you're sharing it authentically in the moment. And one of the things that the research really showed was that it was that facing it, not bypassing it, not denying it, that allowed a way through it. So, so is that similar in a sense? Absolutely. and. And the blues are messy. Mm. Oh, right? Mm -hmm. That it's not like everything's good, I got it together. It's like, shh, ah, like. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Here's what's happening. Right. It's that willingness to put, put it in front of us. Like I always, I always think about this as like we, we're often trained, like, put the stuff you don't like behind you, like, quickly, get it behind you, push it aside, like, get it out of your sight. Right. And, and what we've done often is that we've taken all the stuff we don't know what to do with, emotions, thoughts, judgments, self, you know, abandonment, and we've shoved it into a closet and shut the door. And then we're like, everything's great, I'm fine, <laughs> doing well, thank you, how are you? Right. And all this stuff is like building. The pressure is building. And so often on a healing path or a spiritual path, the first thing you have to do is have the willingness to open the door. And then when you open the door, it's not about I'm going to rearrange it so it looks better on the outside. You have to pull everything out. And that takes a tremendous amount of courage. It tremendous amount of courage. Yes. And support. Mm. And support. And I think that's part of why, like something like your research is so beautiful around the blues is, is it's not an isolated thing. Like the blues is also about community. It's about we're in this together. It's why it's so impactful. Music is so impactful because people engage and, and go, oh, I this is me too. There's that sense of we're in this together, we're going to get through. Mm. And so it's the same thing when we're doing our own inner work. It's much more difficult for us to go and clean the closet out by ourselves. 
but you also can't have somebody else clean it. No, but it's that sense of resonance, watching others go through something similar and watching them go through a difficult path. And, and then comes the the guides and the, the leaders and the therapists and the, um, all the people that can coach, that can midwife, that can guide and say, no, you're doing it right. This is supposed to be painful and discomfort and full of discomfort, you know, because that is also totally counter, counter to what we've been told. Things should be pleasant. Things should be comfortable. We should always go for, you know, the soft couch. Yeah, and if you're doing it right, it's easy. Mm. Mm. And if it's hard, you must be doing something wrong. Exactly. And then the problem of when something all of a sudden has been in that closet for too long, there's too many temptations for alcohol, alcohol, drugs, whatever it is to numb it, to keep that door shut to that closet. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, yeah. And I think that's one of the real big problems with this time where we're so alone and isolated. What is your experience there? How do you connect with your normal tribes and groups in this time? I found it really important to keep showing up for myself of what was going on for me as also and also with my community. So when the the pandemic first hit, (laughs) I did a crazy thing, which is I went, I was online 24 seven for a week basically like we just did live streaming constantly because my feeling was we need each other so much right now to like get focused on what are we doing and how do we do this because this is something that none of us have gone through or many of us have not gone through before and you know it's funny because I feel like I'm I'm an introvert and so it's actually, this has been, it's been so helpful for me because I've gotten to go even more inside than I usually do because I'm usually on the road so much. So there's been a gift in that. And there's also been a gift in who do I want to connect with? Like what's really working for me and what's not? And how do I show up for the people that I love? Hmm. What do they need? You know, both the community that I'm a part of with the warrior goddess And also the friends that I'm close to and really looking and feeling into relationships because we can have relationships with individuals. We can have relationships with family. We can have relationships with community and they're all different. And so it's one of the things I've been really looking at through the, this time is what do I need to nourish myself? And then how do I nourish the relationships that I'm in? And how, how do I get to be creative and, in doing that and that they're all different. Mm. It it reminds me in some ways of Andrew Harvey's work about sacred activism, where there's the the take care of your own spiritual sustenance first, then of those who are your closest family, maybe then your friends, then your local community, and then the world to not burn out, to avoid that, activist burnout yeah which is so important Mm -hmm. so so important that we're sustainable and that's the other thing that i always look at is that 
the work that we're doing internally and then combined with what's happening in the world, because like you shared, the world doesn't stop. Like your world, like you're dealing with all this stuff and the washer, (laughs) right? Yeah. Like that stuff doesn't pause. And so we're dealing with these layers of complexity and, and grief, Mm. you know, the grief of having to return the deposit is multi-layered. It's a grief that the world is not, is different. And involves many different people. Exactly. Exactly. You know, it's not just the grief of, oh, we don't have this resource anymore. It's the grief of not getting to see people, not getting to travel, the impact that it's having on the industry. Right. And our crew and our band, all that. Yeah. All of it. All of it. And so this time, it's like holding. How do we nourish ourselves in the long run? How do we really figure out how to be sustainable in new ways? And how do we integrate over and over again? Because things shift so quickly right now Mm. that there's a way, I don't know how to put it exactly into words. I'm I'm exploring, like, how do I keep open to whatever's going to happen next and integrate what has happened? Yeah, I'm really hearing a one of those hidden blessings in this process because this is really something that is so beneficial to being effective whether we are activists or whatever we are in the world however we show up the work we do particularly of course of being a service but that remembering to slow down enough to have the sustainability as a part of our considerations. Yeah, huge. Because we go a million miles an hour, particularly when there's a lot of opportunities. And and lost on that altar is sometimes ourselves. Where are we? How do I even locate my center in this? So true. And so many people that I've talked to are recognizing, myself included, are recognizing that place of creating more simplicity in our lives so that we have the spaciousness to integrate. We have the spaciousness to dream. We have the spaciousness to really listen to what's the next best action here. And when we're in this linear, like I have to do the next thing on the list, I have to do the next thing on the list, which so many of us were living, from, then there's a loss because we're, we're living in the future in a way instead of absolutely in the present. Yeah. We can start to shift back into the present again, not to negate the, the suffering, the challenges that are happening and that hidden gift of how, what do I really want to craft in my life? in relationship to myself and in relationship to others? And am I in alignment with what I actually, where I actually want to be putting my attention? So true. And, and along that path is this thought of what is enough, <laughs> right? Because I, I think no matter what we do, it's so easy to just 
want more. And that's part of that linear thought process you, you mentioned before. It's so easy to just, um, I can do more. I can be more places. I can earn more. I can, uh, and it becomes this frenetic um, ambition almost that drives us. But it's not necessarily the highest good or the best feeling. I mean, certainly having a lot of stuff is one of those things that is really becoming clearer and clearer to me, both as I get older and as the pandemic also has its say. Stuff is not it. That's not where it's at. Yeah, the stuff is just the stuff. And yes. And it weighs us down. Uh-huh. And what, what's, what are the things that actually light us up? What are the things that bring us energy? It's one of the things I also look at with the fire is that for each of us, we have this precious fire that's, our in, that's in our being. And it's when we're not tending to that fire, we can get, it can get scattered, we can burn out, we can leak energy all over the place. We can have our, our fire, that energy tied up in different things the stuff of our life, and it just keeps weighing us down. And at this time, we can really look at what do I need to do to purify that fire inside to make it really bright and strong? Because I believe we are going to need each of us being really deeply connected to our fire, because we're in the middle of a big paradigm shift. And we've been in it for a, a, a long time, but as humans, to make change we need energy so how does that fire help us through the energy shift and the paradigm shift by giving us the capacity to to light our way through to have the the vision and the clarity so when your fire is bright you're able to feel into what's next, where do I want to go? And your, your way is lit by that inner fire versus when that inner fire is low, what tends to happen is we get hooked really easily by other things and other people. Mm. We, we're, we're constantly distracted because we don't have that bright clarity inside of our being. And we tend to then lose more and more energy so cultivating this inner fire. Uh-huh. And I guess that's the focus that you're talking about with the warrior part of warrior goddess. Mm -hmm. Yes. That we need both. We need the focus. We need the clarity. We need that 100% commitment and capacity to rally our energy and put it where we want it to go. Again, sounds super simple, but like, oh no, give yourself a day. <laughs> See if you can stay focused on the things you actually want to focus on. You know, it's amazing how many distractions there are. And, and also, like you said earlier, like how much the addiction show up or the fear or the anxiety, because we're not, we're, we're not willing to clean out the emotional content. Mm -hmm. So that, that fire allows us to have the courage to say, okay, I need to clean this up. I'm ready. So burning clearly, but there's also this other component of fire, which is the anger. 
and the um, pissed offness. I mean, it's a it's a part of activism too. I know so many of us when we get on a righteous path that we believe is righteous, we get fired up with a righteous anger. It feels that way. But that fire, in my experience, can also really burn us down. Instead of giving us clarity and focus, sometimes that anger becomes counterproductive. So how how do we transform that so we're still effective, we're still focused, we're still clear, but we're not burning out? Yeah, such a beautiful question. It's about not having the anger. It's about what you're doing with the anger. Anger is energy. It means something's off. And when, we, when we're able to, to not either repress the anger, which it then comes out sideways, or, or justify the, like, glab onto the anger. This is why I'm angry and I have a righteous need. You know, I have a, a right to be angry. But we're doing it out of a huge story versus this is energy What's my action? Mm-hmm. What's the action that I'm going to take? Anger can give us the energy to take the action, or it can cause us, like you said, to burn ourselves or to burn others. So if I'm hearing you correctly, anger is an invitation to explore. Anger, yes. An, an invitation to explore. What's my action to take here? Mm. What's my action to take here? Sometimes that's no action. Mm. But sometimes it's like, oh, okay, I'm pissed off about this thing. It's upsetting me. I want, it shouldn't be happening. Okay, it is happening, but I want it to be different. Mm. Great. Take the anger and then ask, where do I want to put this energy? Where's my place to put this energy? I think that's so important right there because otherwise we burn out. Uh, it's, it's figuring out, so a different situation, but when Walter was sick, there were so many things that I asked myself constantly, is he going to get an, another liver in time? Is, uh, are the doctors going to be okay? Is, is our, our, our finances going to be okay? All these questions that were really in many ways at that point, way outside of my control. And it brought with it an, a crazy amount of anxiety. That's when that minute by minute check-in with myself came, came very much um, into being. But I found that what I had to really focus on was what is my place right now to do? What is it I can do right now? Not what would I like to see? What is it I can do? So I feel I am at least contributing something. Something's Sometimes it was minimal what I could do. Sometimes it was, I need to take a walk to just even clear my head. And then being okay with what my action was, what I could do. Yeah, beautiful. So true. And being in that place of honesty with yourself and clarity. This is what I can do, period. Instead of, this is what I should be doing. This is what the world should be doing. This is what I should feel Mm. guilty about that I'm not doing. Mm. all these places to get our attention hooked. And really the question is, what can I do right now in this moment? Yeah. And then being okay with that, celebrating that, doing it to your very best ability. And, and also 
I mean, I think really the celebration, the 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 honoring of it is so important because because and that's where that enough thing comes in again. It does, yeah. The celebration is so important as well. How do you celebrate as an introvert? Asking for a friend. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the truth is I'm always celebrating. I'm always celebrating that there's a way that I've trained myself that if something challenging arises, I'm like, hello, okay, you are a worthy obstacle. Because I know now that the obstacles that arise are how, give me the opportunity, if I choose, to learn more about myself to learn more about how to be human in a good way. And, and I don't mean good way, like out there good way, but like what feels like it's an integrity for me. And there's this knowing of I'm gonna make mistakes, it's gonna be messy, but I'm willing to show up with myself in this mm -hmm. journey and with whoever else is on the ride with me. So like my celebrations are like, yay, all, like all the time. I have little internal dance parties and celebrations and gratitude. So I'd say as an introvert, like just that deep gratitude for all the little things keeps me going. Yeah. So there's this, there's this, you know, real joy at having faced it. So the joy is not sit on the couch and eat candy. Uh, I mean, that, that could be a piece if you so desire at some point, right? But it's, it's facing the discomfort, facing the, the opportunity challenge, whatever it is. Um, yeah. I, I think that is a juicy little bit because we've, we, we tend to think celebration is something that involves other people. It involves alcohol. It involves... Uh, you know, dancing and music and, and, and all this. And we tend to disregard, I think, the celebrations that are within. And they are really, that, what feeds that fire you're talking about with the focus? Yeah, and definitely the, the gratitude and celebrating life as life is. Yeah is what will keep nourishing us to be sustainable. And yes, let, let's, you know, we all can't wait till we get to get together and be with each other and hug each other and celebrate in person. Like, ah, is that true? It's not one or the other. And at this time when, when we don't have the, the easy access to celebrating with other people in the flesh, mm -hmm get to play with what, how do I celebrate? How do I continue to, to hone my own gratitude? Yes, and also the perspective of the incubation. Mm. I know, right? We are, you talked about 40 days of not talking. For a moment, I just thought, oh gosh, that sounds so nice. But my gosh, after 30 seconds, I think I'd be challenged with that, right? So... But this time is almost forcing us to to do it in a in some ways. Yeah, and I think it's interesting to look at the like the whole overview 
because in the beginning of the pandemic, for example, like it was really hard and there was all this unknown. And then there was kind of the middle part of like, okay, I'm getting into the rhythm. Like, mm. you know, I talked to a lot of people were like, wow, I'm getting shit done that I haven't gotten done for a long time. And this is changing. And like, there's all this kind of, for some people, there was a sense of relief. And now that it's still going on and more things are getting canceled and more businesses are going down and people are, are, um, really missing being around other people like and we're going into winter mm. now we get to really look at okay what do i need to be sustainable in the long haul like this isn't something that's going to be over tomorrow and so in that relationship with ourselves how do we deepen our relationship with ourselves and use this time of winter of going in of of really finding that fire within and blowing on it and bringing it more and more to life without the external that we usually have to help us feel alive and okay and like uh, valued. How do we find that value inside of ourselves? How do we find that sense of joy inside of ourselves just from being alive not because things are happening the way that we think they should be. Just from being alive, not because things are the way we think they should be. Mm. I'll chew on that one. I got the image while you were talking of the opportunity we have right now to almost gestate a COVID baby, if you will, that there's this new process that when this is over, something has been created inside of us that we will always have with us. Um, I love that image. Yes. And that there's the, the tending, the, the patience, the, the curiosity of what will be born. Indeed. Uh, and also, in, in a sense, what is being born continually from it, because it's not an end result. Uh, if COVID or a different practice is going to be with us for a while, then how do we integrate this new way of being? And how do we find all these different things, being happy and content with enough, being aware of things being right because not because of what they are not, but because of what they are, you know, how do we take these and birth them continually while we are also looking at the big picture? And as you said, this is, we're in a, a time of transformation in our world as a big overarching image. And so there are some opportunities in this, that in some ways are readying us. What do you think is the journey? What are we journeying toward as humanity? How do you see it? Mm -hmm. First answer that comes up is, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I can share what my hopes are, <laughs> right? Because I do feel like we're at this place of like, are we going to create more divisiveness and more separation and more judgment? Or are we going to learn how to work with each other in new ways? And I don't know what the humans are going to pick. Really don't. 
my prayer, my hope, my, my holding. And again, I, I, I come back like when you're in relationship to mystery, you don't know what it's supposed to look like. So for me, the work right now is how do we show up in that mystery, open to whatever's going to happen, while we're also holding the vision like so strongly of what we want to happen, of what our desire is, of what is possible as humans. And so my prayer is that as humans, we can learn how to deeply respect ourselves and each other. And I think for so often the root of our struggles and suffering is the places that we abandon ourselves and how to come home to ourselves and also honor that we're all different. We all have different dreams and different journeys and yet we can work together towards something bigger. And what's our vision of what that bigger looks like? For me, it's about humans being more in relationship with nature and with each other, getting more still, realigning with their intuition in a really deep way, and really asking how do we take care of each other and how do we take care of the earth without abandoning ourselves. Yes. It's a multifaceted diamond, uh, in a sense, of the oneness. Um, that, that coming together, not to serve self-interests, but to know that it is in one's self-interest to be a part of and to be connected to and to be joined with and to see and to to understand that that connection that joinedness to nature to others to oneself to spirit mm. I, I i'll join you on that one and i think as you said we don't know we don't know what's going to happen that's part of of this whole thing of living life. We never know. We never know. Things might look great and promising and all of a sudden, boop, something completely different happens. But then I guess it is about also being okay with that it's messy, as you say. I, I like that. It's, it's probably going to continue to be messy. Humanity will be messy. And it is in our response to that. Maybe it's our expectation that we are going to not be messy at some point. We have some angelic vision of some utopia, but maybe that's not the point. Maybe utopia is walking on the fire, walking on the coals, making it through and understanding that, oh, you know what? It just made me think of the image of Shiva with the the what is it the the drum of creation in one hand and the fire of destruction in the other and that's where we are more than ever or as much as ever <laughs> <laughs>
I love the image of, of Shiva and it's like, and then how do we dance in the, the destruction and the creation, which mm. is always happening, mm. our own destruction and our own creation, the world, how do we learn to dance in it, in the messiness <laughs> across the fire? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. Last question for you is, uh, I know you're writing a memoir. How is that process for you? Mm. Well, I just started and Mm. it's been, it's such a fascinating process because like all these little vignettes of experiences in my life, I'm picking them up and looking at them and saying, how did this craft who I am now? Mm. And so both the the beautiful moments and the, the most challenging moments of looking at how they shaped me as a human and how they carved who I am now. And, and it's, yeah, it's really exceptional. And so I'm in this process of writing on index cards where like there's this experience and then there's this experience and then this happened. And, and bringing them all up as in a way is all of them are equal. Like there isn't, this is the best one and this is the worst one. I just feel like this process of laying everything out on the table right now and looking at how has it nourished me? How did it feed me? And then I'll get to weave it together and see what the the storyline is. I mean, what a perfect time really to do it. And I've been, I've been, uh, I've been struggling with my own for five years. Um, struggling is not the right word. Dancing with is probably a better word. Tangoing at times, slow dancing at other times, and screaming at at other times. But I have found that that it's it's a it's a very nurturing process, and it, it, some of it for exactly those reasons you're saying. But I also think there is a power in finding the universal in the personal. Yeah. And, and, and sitting with it. And so there's those moments that shape us, shape, shape our, our, our life. And as you said, some of the more insignificant we might've thought at the time rise to the top as all of a sudden much more important when we have that tapestry so I'll be very curious where you're going with it and to read it. Me too. Mm, what's your next book? What's the next book that's coming out of your 5 million books? <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully it'll be this one. I mean, I'm working on this one. Um, and the, you know, in there at some point will be the PhD project with ubiquity. Um, which hopefully this lifetime I will get to. Uh, and then I'm, I'm also looking at a book on leadership and what it means to be a leader in these times, like to really learn how to lead ourselves and be inspirational to other people. So I've always got the list of books that I'm working on. That's great. Yeah, this one because it's so, it's nothing like I've ever written before. And so it's really challenging me. And also that, that gift of getting to step back from one's life and look. Like for me, the question is, how did I 
get to the place of having faith mm. and being like so deeply connected to my intuition and the stillness. How did I get there from where I started? <laughs> so that's what I'm curious. What were the ingredients in this incredible stew mm. of this particular human's life? Wow. Yeah, very interesting. Makes me think maybe I should add some things. <laughs> Heather Ash, thank you so much for coming on my podcast and taking time out from all the million things you do. You're so welcome, sweetheart. So great to talk with you. And I just love the, the journey that you're on and the questions and the insights and the many, many gifts that you share. So oh, thank you so much. Thank you to you for listening to this episode of Deep Dives in Extraordinary Times. I'm Marie Trout, and I'd love it if you'd subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen or follow it, and that way you will be notified when I post the next episode. Typically, it's about once a week, Thursday or Friday. The music for this podcast is by Walter Trout. Take care. Thank you.